this morning I will be speaking to you from the first chapter of Acts, and we'll be looking at the first eight verses. I know that our key passage of Scripture is going to be verse 8, or the first part of verse 8, but uh, we can't see verse 8 before we look at the first, uh, you know, part or those other verses, uh, you know, that we have there. Uh, you know, so whenever we come to this and we look at Acts, the first chapter of Acts is very important. Uh, there are many things in the first chapter of Acts that we need to understand and that the writer has for us and needs us to understand about Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, whenever we look at this, Luke writes this to us, uh, and Luke gives us that Jesus' life, and he gives us Jesus' life and ministry, but he also gives us in here the importance and the evidence of the resurrection. Uh, you know, we have to understand that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, it's not that he was a ghost that came back and was wandering around, but it was Jesus Christ, the same man that lived on the earth for 33 years. Uh, you know, it was him. Uh, you know, he was alive and he spent 40 days with them and he ate with them and he drank with them. And Luke lets us understand the importance about this. We also see in here, and what we're going to talk about today is the importance of the Holy Spirit, but of the power of the Holy Spirit and what that is. And then the power of the Holy Spirit then goes in and talks about the priority of witnessing. And more important than that, the priority of us being the witness. Uh, you know, and we get that, and he talks about the Great Commission uh, and then he talks about the Great Commission going all the way to the ends of the earth. It's not just in Jerusalem or in Judea or in Samaria, but it's all the way to the ends of the earth. Luke also gives us the importance of the truth of Scripture in the life of Jesus Christ that is within the Scripture. Uh, you know, whenever we think about this, the evidence of the resurrection uh, is there, uh, you know, but it's been predicted by the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled those. Luke also tells us and talks to us about the ascension into heaven, but he talks to us about the second coming of Jesus Christ. But in this, he tells us the importance of prayer and fellowship. With one another. So as we look at Luke, or as we look here at Acts and what Luke has for us to understand and what he has for us to see, there's a lot that's right there in that first chapter. But today I want to talk to you about this in Acts, verse 8, the first part. It says, But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, of course, we all know, well, you might not know, but since there's this conjunction, uh, you know, this word but, we need to go and we need to understand why this but is there. 
uh, you know, some of the, well, I thought, uh, you know, so I went into all the different, uh, you know, the seven different uh, translations that I have to see if any of them use the word therefore in this particular passage here, uh, you know, but it does not. Every one of them uses that little conjunction, uh, you know, so let's go and let's look. So if we go to verse 1, verse 1 tells us who this book was written to, uh, you know, so this book was actually written to Theopolis, okay, and then it tells us that it was written to Theopolis about the things that he had talked about in the prior book that he had written. So Luke is telling Theopolis that the things that I had written to you about in Luke are the things that Jesus taught us and talked to us about at the end after his resurrection. He spent 40 days to explain the things that I talked to you about in Luke. So then he gives us this and he says all these things. And, uh, you know, so let's go in verse 4. It says, once when we were eating, when, when he was eating with them, with the disciples, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem, but until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will, bapt you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the, the disciples, so when the disciples were with Jesus, he kept asking, or they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore your kingdom? He replied, the Father only knows, the Father only has the authority to set the dates and times and they will not be known to you they will not they are not for you uh, you know to know but you will receive power when the holy spirit comes upon you and you will be my witness telling people about me everywhere in jerusalem throughout judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we see this. We have here, uh, you know, what it is. And, uh, you know, I want to go back, uh, you know, and I guess I, I want to go back to verse 6, uh, you know, because this, I, I know that this had to grieve the heart of Jesus Christ. I, you know, I know it did, because it grieves my heart, because I have said those words, uh, you know, that the disciples didn't understand, uh, you know, the message or, uh, you know, what Jesus Christ was here for until after his death on the cross and resurrection. But here we are, we have had the death on the cross, we've had the resurrection, and we hear his disciples ask this question, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore your kingdom? I want us to see something here. 
because we have the verb, and the verb that we have here is restore. And what they're talking about here is that are you going to restore the Israelites back to their political and to their reign here and their territory here on this earth? So they were not thinking and talking about the heavenly kingdom. They were still looking and thinking about the earthly things. To give you this, the noun of this passage is Israel. So it's not talking about God's kingdom. It's talking about Israel and the earthly kingdom. So they still didn't understand. But we also have the verbal uh, you know, clause that is at this time that there gives us even further evidence that they were wanting this to happen immediately. That is why Jesus then gives them the answer. That is why Jesus then goes in and replies and says, uh, you know, the Father only has the authority to set those dates and times. And they are not for you to know. And then he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So here they are. They are interested in the earthly things. And they're interested in God still setting up his earthly kingdom. I, you know, Because let's think about this. Because Jesus has already told the disciples that they will be leaders. And that the people will come to them. And they will judge the people. So why in the world would they not think that they would be in this earth, earthly kingdom, that they wouldn't be someone of hierarchy? Why would they not think that whenever Jesus Christ sets up the earthly kingdom, that they're going to have a portion of this kingdom, and they're going to rule over a portion of the kingdom? So he says here, I have something better for you than what you're thinking. Did we get it? I have something better than what you're thinking. You're thinking earthly. You're thinking that you're going to rule over a providence or be a king of a certain area or a governor of a certain area. And that's not going to happen. I have something better for you. And what I have for you is something that is going to sustain you and hold you and help you until that time that God has set forth. It's going to help you. In other words, he knew what they were going to go through. And he says, I'm going to give you a helping hand. I'm going to give you what the Father has promised. So... I've done some reading here, believe it or not. I do read books. But I read this little story. Uh, you know, Max Licato gives us this great illustration. Uh, you know, so let me walk you through this illustration to help you just a little bit more. Okay? Because whenever we see this and we, uh, you know, we get this understanding, uh, you know, Max was talking about uh, you know, this time that one of his friends talked him into, uh, you know, entering a bicycle race. How many of you have ever ridden bicycles? You, ridden bicycles, okay. Uh, you know, I had a friend in Mississippi that him and I would go, uh, you know, riding on this trail. It was a five-mile trail, and there were two, uh, you know, hills that 
whenever you got to those, regardless of how fast you were going before you got there, uh, you know, it took us it, it took us like three months before we were able to make it to the top without getting off the bikes. I mean, they were steep inclines, you know. So Max is talking about this race, and uh, you know, in this race that they had, there was this, uh, you know, this twelve degree. Uh, you know, incline that lasted a mile and a half. Uh, you know, so you're talking about an incline on the way. It's a pretty big incline. I don't know what a 12 degree. That would be more like a 45 degree, but it was steep anyway. Uh, you know, and, and Max was like, you know, I, I really didn't deserve to be there. I wasn't, uh, you know, fit enough to be there. But, uh, you know, his friend talked him into it and he said, look, I will make sure that you finish this race. So he's like, okay. Uh, you know, the day of the race, they're all there, uh, you know, he's back there in the back with, uh, you know, some of the, you know, the other gentlemen that's about his age that really don't deserve to be in the race, and, uh, you know, the uh, gun shoots off, and of course, all those good guys that, you know, that, that are prepared and ready for the race, they take off, uh, you know, and the other ones are back there, and he talks about how they're joking, uh, you know, they're kind of cutting jokes about this incline that they're headed towards, and, uh, you know, they said, yeah, you know, it's, the, the name of the incline is the killer dealer, uh, you know, and he's like, oh, my goodness, you know, we're headed towards this. And they were joking about it, and he said very shortly into that, we quit joking about it, uh, you know, because you have to have air to talk, and you have to have air to be able to ride your bike, to motor up. So we just simply shut our mouths because we needed all the air that we could muster up or get to make it up that hill. Uh, you know, so he says he's gone, and, uh, you know, he's, his thighs are burning, his lungs are burning, he can't get enough air, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden he feels this hand in the small of his back. He's like, no, no, really, I, I felt a hand in the small of my back. He said, I turned and I looked, and there was my friend Pat. He said Pat had already finished the race. He had already, he had came behind me and made it halfway back through the race, parked his bike on the side of the road, ran up behind me and put his hand on my back. And Max goes, that shows you how slow I was going. Now, if we understand this, and if we truly receive this, that is exactly what God has done for us. You know, last week we talked about joy and about joy coming in the morning. There's sometimes that the morning doesn't come fast enough for us. Larry talked about it Wednesday night. Joy might not take, it might take joy a year or so to get there. But joy is coming in the morning. But the thing about it is, is the joy that's coming is not from this earth. It's not from anything that we do, but it's from Jesus Christ that comes and does it for us and does it through us. The Holy Spirit comes and places his hand on, his, on our backs and says, Hey, I know you're struggling today. Just let me push you up the hill. Let me bring the joy into your life. Allow me to help you through this struggle. We see this. I want to use this 
analogy for you. Push. The Holy Spirit provides power. It provides unity. It, it supplies uh, you know, supervision. And it supplies holiness. See, that last word there, it supplies holiness. We try to become holy on our own. What do you think would have happened if Max would have taken Pat's hand off of his back and said, no, I, I, I don't need your help? Or what if he would have said, no, I don't deserve your help? Uh, you know, we do that. We allow the Holy Spirit to move in our lives in certain places and at certain times. But then we remove the hand of the Holy Spirit in our lives at certain places in certain times. And whenever we do that, we're telling the Holy Spirit, we're telling God that I can handle this. We're telling him, I don't need your help, regardless of where we are, regardless of what's happening in our lives. We take these things away from him. You know, the Holy Spirit is our helper. It is given to us by God and we receive the Holy Spirit once we confess in our sins and believe in Jesus Christ through faith. But we don't understand the Holy Spirit. Let's go back. I, you know, I've been thinking about this. I, you know, if we go back to verse 6 and we go back to the fact that the disciples, after spending time with Jesus Christ for 33 years and seeing Him on the cross and now seeing Him and being with Him for 40 days, because right after this is the ascension into heaven. Uh, you know, we see that they have been with Him for all of this time, but yet they still don't understand the true message of Jesus Christ and what He truly has for us. They receive the Holy Spirit, and whenever they receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes and begins to teach them so that they now have an understanding of what Jesus Christ really meant and what He was really here on this earth for. Until then, we can only think through our worldly mind. Uh, you know, I'm getting all excited. Uh, you know, Zechariah, uh, you know, it was, yes, it was. No, Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to Jesus, uh, you know, in the night. And this is whenever Jesus told him, I know this is one of my passages of Scripture in here, but I'm, you know, I'm going to tell you about it first. Uh, you know, because, uh, you know, Jesus then tells Nicodemus about being born of the Spirit. Remember, he says you have to be born a second time. Nicodemus is like, wait a minute, how am I supposed to go back into my mother's womb? And Jesus said that flesh gives birth to flesh, Spirit gives birth to Spirit. The only way that we can truly understand and truly believe what Jesus Christ has for us and what He has done for us is if we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, therefore the 
Spirit of God is living within us. If not, we're still thinking with the worldly mind. The only way that we can have the renewing of the mind is through the Holy Spirit. It does it. We don't do it. There is absolutely nothing that we can do to change our thought process other than allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. But then you also have passages of Scripture that tells us that God will open up our hearts and pour Himself into us. He will reveal every part of Himself to us. He does it through the Holy Spirit. I haven't gotten to the P yet, so let's get there. In Job chapter 34, verses 14 and 15, we see the power of the Holy Spirit. It says, if God were to take back His Spirit and withdraw His breath, all of life would cease. And humanity would turn again to dust. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the life-giving force of creation. But it's also kind of the midwife, if you would say, to the new birth of the believers. And that's in Zacharias, that's where Zechariah, where we go there and we look at that, and that's in John chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, that I just talked to you about, about Jesus' conversation, uh, you know, there. We see this. The power of the Holy Spirit enters into us as believers and from that forward on, he, we have access to the very power and character and personality of God Almighty. Did we get that? From the time that the Holy Spirit enters into us, we have the access to the power, the character, and the personality of God Almighty. As we allow the Holy Spirit to live in us and to work in us and to work through us, we then begin to see as God sees. We begin to think as God thinks. We begin to do the things that God wants us to do. We begin to love people in only the way that God can love people. We begin to accept people regardless of their statue, regardless of what they look like. We just begin to accept them because of God's character and His love and His mercy that is living within us. Wow. The power of the Holy Spirit living in us, guiding us, and directing us. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, we find the gifts of the Spirit. It's one Spirit that gives the gifts. It's not many spirits, but one Spirit 
the Spirit of God that gives us the gifts. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind or these this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these. There's no law that's against these. So whenever we think about this, if we have the power of the Holy Spirit living within us, then we look towards the gifts and we say, okay, how am I allowing or how am I doing in allowing the Holy Spirit to work in my life? Well, if you're not very lovingly to your neighbor or to your coworker, that might be an idea that you're lacking in your spiritual walk. If you no longer have patience with the one that's sitting next to you, then you might want to look into your spiritual life. If you no longer have self-control and you find that you're doing things that you don't want to do, then you might need to look at your spiritual life and you might need to go back to the Holy Spirit and say, wait a minute, check me so that I can find out where I'm going wrong. Because if the Holy Spirit is working in our lives, we have these things. We have these things. We have love. We have joy. Man. Joy is not happiness. Joy comes from the Lord. And even in the midst of our sorrows, we can still have joy. Peace. I know all of y'all, some, well, I don't know if all of y'all, but you know, most people look at news periodically. Uh, you know, and I don't know if y'all recall this, but uh, you know, I think it was Thursday of last week, uh, or Thursday of this week, Charlotte has already had the same amount of homicides as they had all of last year. But yet, if we have the Holy Spirit living within us, we have peace. That regardless of what's going on around us, we still have peace. I, you know, and the difficulty about this is, is that if you lose your job and you still, and you're, and you, you're uh, you know, and your world doesn't fall apart, it's because of the Holy Spirit. It's because of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that is working in you and through you. We, we have these gifts in our lives, and they're there for a purpose. Uh, you know, God has placed the gifts in our lives, uh, you know, there for a reason. And one of the reasons is, is because of church and because of fellow Christians that we're going to be living with. Because one of the things that we as Christians are supposed to have is unity. And we can only have unity through the Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit gives us the gifts so that we can have unity. I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit never expects us to produce peace or unity. Look at Galatians chapter 5. I'm sorry, that's not it. Where it is? I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. says, make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. It is the Spirit's responsibility for the peace. It's not yours. It's your responsibility to bind yourself to the Holy Spirit. So we can no longer say, I can't work with so-and-so. Because if we have the Holy Spirit within us, the Holy Spirit is binding us together, bringing us into unity. Therefore, because of the Holy Spirit, we can work with the worst person that will ever sit next to us. We can love the person that is sitting right next to us, regardless of what they have done to us throughout our lifetime and throughout this week. Because of the unity and the peace that is in our lives because of the Holy Spirit. Unity is the second part of the push. Can I get you this? I, you know, we have to understand that our fellowship that we have. Is because of what Jesus Christ has designed us for and with. To be with others. We're, we're not to be alone. We're to be with others. Uh, and the scripture tells us and it talks about, uh, you know, that uh, you know, three chords are stronger than one. Uh, you know, that if you're alone and you fall, there's no one there that's, you know, to help you to get up. We are supposed to use and to be with one another to help us through this walk. It's the unity that God has for us. It's the fellowship that we have within the church. Anytime that the church is experiencing fellowship and growth and praise of God, it's because the Holy Spirit is running free and, and able to move freely within the church. At any point in time, if the church experiences conflict or disunity, then we really need to search for the continuity of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what keeps us united together. The Holy Spirit and that uni unity that we have, we are stronger than what we would ever be by ourselves. But also the thing about it is, is that the church can only be as strong as you allow the Holy Spirit to be within your life. So if you are not allowing the Holy Spirit to move in your life, you are hindering the Holy Spirit's move within the church. And I'm going to deviate a little bit. Because 
whenever I first came to the church, and whether y'all believe it or, or know it or not, uh, you know, we're close to, you know, to year three of, of, of this ministry that God has for us here. And back whenever I came, I, I gave a message and I talked about the three rings or three groups of people that was around Jesus Christ. Do y'all remember those? Jesus Christ in his life and his ministry, he had 12 believers that was right there and they believed and they walked with him and they listened to all the things that he said and they were right there. You remember whenever he talked about the, uh, you know, about, uh, you know, his blood was, uh, you know, uh, the covenant, uh, you know, and you had to drink of my blood and you had to eat of my flesh. Uh, you know, there were some, this was after the feeding of the 5,000. There was those that left the ministry of Jesus Christ. And he looked at his 12 and he said, are you going to leave now? And they said, why would we leave? You're the Messiah. You're the one that, uh, you know, that God has sent here to save us. See, that's the one ring that's close-knit with God. And then you have the other ones that's on the fringe, that's on the outside. They're like, well, you know, what he is saying is good, but I'm really not sure just yet. So I'm going to be off at a distance. I, I see what he says. I see what he does. They sound good, but I haven't really bought in 100%. And then you have the ones on the backside, the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees and all of their people that did everything and anything that they could to hinder the progress of Jesus' ministry. You remember that now. And I told you that the church is the same way. We have people that have bought into the fact that, yes, God has called John Sadler and Peggy Sadler to be the leaders of this flock, and I am going to do whatever they have and whatever they need for me to do. I'm going to do that 100%. I love them that much. Then we have the ones that's on the ring that's out here that says, you know, what he says is pretty good, but you know, that music minister that he brought in, I don't know about that. I'm not going to give in 100% just yet. I'm still waiting on the side. I, you know, that new ministry that he did, you know, the financial piece, I think that was pretty good, but, you know, he most probably should have done it here at church instead of doing it there at his apartment. They're there. You might be one of them. You most probably are. I hope that you're not part of the last group. That you're sitting on the edge. And you're sitting back there and you're saying, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to hinder the message and the, the growth of God's kingdom in this church. Because he's not the person I want to be there. Do you think Jesus was the person that the, that the Pharisees wanted? Unity. Unity within the body of Christ will hinder, or disunity within the body of Christ will hinder the work of God Almighty.
He cannot work in a church that is not unified and together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 goes in and it talks about that there's, uh, you know, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with this, with the body of Christ, so it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we all, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we will share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, but just one part. See, that's the unity that the Holy Spirit brings. We as the church, we cannot have the unity without the Holy Spirit. And without allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. I've got to move on. The Holy Spirit supervises. Supervises supervises our lives and it supervises the church. In Acts chapter 1, we find the uh, Holy Spirit comforts the believers. In John chapter 16, we find that it gives guidance to, unto all truth. In John 16, 13, it also tells us and it says that it reveals the things that are still to come. These are the things, this is what the Holy Spirit does for us uh, as it supervises and as it helps us to walk this life uh, you know, that God truly has for us. In Romans chapter 8, it offers prayer of intercession. In Galatians 4, 6, and in Romans 18, 6, or 8, 16, it bears witness that the saints are saved. The Holy Spirit living within us is what shows the rest of the world that we are saved. Because only through that and only through the Holy Spirit living in our lives are we able to live different than in this world. In Hebrews chapter 4, in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and in Romans 15, 18, and 19. It attests to the presence of God with signs and marvels. The Holy Spirit shows us in our lives and it evidence, its evidence is God's sign and God's miraculous work within our lives. See, the thing about it is, is that if we truly allow ourselves as the church to allow the Holy Spirit to move freely in all of our lives, that we could accomplish more than we would ever think that we would be able to accomplish. We would be able to look back and we'd be able to say, wow, God, that is miraculous that you were able to accomplish that.
In John chapter 14, verses 16 and 7, it creates a God-like atmosphere of truth. In Deuteronomy 34, 9, and Isaiah eleven twelve, it provides wisdom. In 2 Corinthians 3, 17, it provides freedom. Freedom for us to be able to worship and to be able to do what God truly has done for us. And then, of course, we cannot use and we can't finish the analogy. There's absolutely no way that we could have the word push or even talk about the Holy Spirit without mentioning the fact that we or the Holy Spirit brings about holiness in our lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our Lord. It's not by anything that we do. It's not by anything that we can ever accomplish. I kind of think about this, and if you can picture this with me, uh, you know, those old pictures of the woman that is sitting there on a, bull, on a stool or she might be standing next to a table and she's got this big wash tub that's there and she's got this washboard. How many of y'all have ever experienced that? But I had some young people that raise their hand. They've experienced it. I, you know, Gertha, you know, I, you know, she remembers firsthand that scrub board, that washboard. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things, but in this analogy, we look at this and we see, uh, you know, this is like the Holy Spirit is the woman, and she picks up the cloth, she picks us up, and she rubs us on this board until the spot is no longer there. She cleanses us. The Holy Spirit cleans us. It is nothing that we do. And can I get this? Can I have you to understand this? If we soak in the water, if we just simply bathe in that water, the spot's still not going to come out. It's still going to be there. The Holy Spirit has to be able to rub, has to be able to work in our lives, has to be able to remove those spots. I think about that and and I'll close with this for you this morning. Uh, you know, Peggy and I, we, we, we know enough about computers to, to really kind of be dangerous. Uh, you know, um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working at it. I'm, I'm getting help, uh, you know. But there was a time that, uh, you know, we needed to, uh, you know, well, we, I, I needed to print off a message. Uh, you know, so that I could preach that Sunday morning, and uh, you know, our ink, our printer was was out of ink. So I go and I get the ink cartridge, uh, you know, and I take it and I, you know, I put the ink cartridge in, and I'm like, okay, I'm ready, I'm done, and I press print, and it prints all of the, you know, I think it was like four pages. Uh, you know, well, this was early in my ministry; it was most probably two pages. Uh, you know, so uh, you know, it printed those pages, but there was nothing on there. I was like, oh, wait a minute, I just, I just replaced that. About an hour later, I realized that I hadn't removed the tape. 
that was covering the ink cartridge. Oh, you know, we do that. We do things in our lives that hinders the Holy Spirit from making the image of God on our lives. We either swipe the Holy Spirit away and say, no, I can take care of it. Or we just simply say, Holy Spirit, no, you know, I, you know I'm not worthy of your help. could be that you're afraid of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit will actually reveal in your life if you allow Him to do the work that He's supposed to do. You know, I don't know where, where you are, but as the ones that's going to do the all the you know, I'll ask if everyone to stand this morning as Robbie and them come forward or whosoever's coming forward. I, I don't know where you are this morning. I, I ask this question to you. Is there anything in your life that you need to remove so that the Holy Spirit can make its impression upon your life? Is there anything that is impeding the impression of the Holy Spirit on your life? With every head bowed and every eye closed, as the music's played, the singers begin to prepare, Ask God. Ask the Holy Spirit. Look within me. Is there anything within me hindering your work? Is there anything within me hindering your work in my life? Is there anything within me hindering your work within this church, within this body of Christ? If it is, bring it to the altar.
Father, we thank you so much for today. 
God, I thank you for these that have made their way to the altar. Holy Spirit, I thank you for the check today. God, I pray, dear Lord, that we will continue to allow you to look into our lives, to reveal the things that needs to be changed and to change those things and to remove the things that don't need to be there. God, we want to be all that you would have for us to be. God, we want your spirit to push us through the night so that we could see the joy in the morning, so that we could finish the race, so that we would be able to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. still have some gentlemen up here that's praying. If I can have some men to gather around them and help them. As they are here praying, uh, you are more than welcome to uh, have a seat and continue to pray. Or if you uh, need to leave, you are more than welcome to leave quietly, uh, you know, and reverently. Uh, you know, just be obedient to God.